is Sarah Anderson, and this week's message is the first in our new sermon series titled Above All Else. This week we are going to talk about Jesus and how Jesus is above all else, both in reality, in the essence of who Jesus is, and how that should impact our lives as we walk as followers of Jesus. I hope you enjoy the message. the Star Wars walk-up music. We're starting a new sermon series today. This is going to be called Above All Else. Okay, so above all else, we are going to look at what we as believers, as part of the church, the priorities that we should hold in our lives above all else. So things have been a little topsy-turvy recently in my life, probably in your guys' lives as well, and I have found myself in survival mode a lot. Is that just me? Anybody else with me? Maybe? Yeah? I have three school-aged boys, and I'm trying to figure out how to balance work and momming and wifing and now remote learning for my kids at home for the next couple months. And so that feels a lot like things are getting flipped upside down. And I'm noticing that if I'm not careful, I'm soon gonna find myself way out of whack. And I'm going to be attending to the urgent things that are right in front of me and the fires that are kind of right in front of me. And I'm going to forget about the important things in my life and I'm going to start neglecting them and care for the urgent as opposed to the important. And I don't wanna get to the end of this period of social distancing and remote learning and all of those things and not recognize who I am and not recognize the family that I have around me. So I wanna keep my priorities aligned and right in front of me. I've started to view this time of COVID kind of as like a greenhouse. And in a greenhouse, you know, things are a little tight. They're a little cozy. The air's a little thick and steamy. The atmosphere's a little tense right now in different places. But the thing about a greenhouse is that things can grow really quickly. It's an atmosphere where growth can happen, both for the things you plant, the things you want to grow, and for weeds, the things you don't really want to grow. They, they can both grow really quickly in a greenhouse kind of environment. And so I want to view this sermon series as a way for us to look at life during COVID, during any time of life, and say, what am I cultivating? What am I centering my life around, and what am I cultivating? Because I don't outside to the greenhouse at the end of COVID and be like, oh my gosh, look what grew in there. I was so busy putting out the fires that this thing's a mess. <laughs> I don't want to end up there. We can take this time and we can make sure to grow the things that we want to grow in our lives. We can harness this season and have great growth rather than just like slide through or suffer through or some of us, we try to bulldoze through this season we can really make this work for us. 
So for this sermon series, we're going to start with the Bible and look at what the Bible says should be our priorities. Now, there are lots of different things, lots of different ways we could look at this, but we're just going to take four of these things to look at. And we're going to look at a specific phrase that the Bible uses, which is above all. So this week, we're going to look at Jesus as above all else. Next week, we're going to look at love. Love as the motivation above all other motivations, above all other ways that we interact with people. Love above all else. The third week, our outside week, we're going to look at the pursuit of the kingdom as the goal that we should hold above all others in our lives. And then the last week, we're going to look at identity. Our identity as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God and prioritizing that identity, that title, far above every other title we might hold or identity we might hold. Like mom, dad, husband, wife, Republican, Democrat, lawyer, teacher, prioritizing our identity as a child of God above all others. So today's topic is Jesus. It's a good topic. So let's pray before we dive in. Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the privilege that it is to gather, to worship, to read your word together. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, that we would encounter you today, that we would encounter your face and your goodness today, right now in this room. Amen. It is my hope today to help you fall a little bit more in love with Jesus, to have his goodness, his power, and the reality that he is above all else become a little bit more focused for all of us. And the things I have to share with you today, some of you might say, yeah, Sarah, I get it. Jesus is above all. I've heard that my whole life. I've heard it a thousand times. Or you might hear some of the things I say today for the very first time. I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your mind to receive today. I think there's an opportunity for us to step into deeper relationship. So Jesus is above all else. This is an actual reality. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm, in the third heaven, above the second heaven, above the spiritual realm, above the first heaven, above heaven and earth. Jesus is actually above all else. He's actually seated on the throne. He is literally above all. It tells us in Ephesians, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There are a lot of things in this passage that it says Jesus is above. Jesus is above rule and authority and power and dominion. His name is above other names. But the thing I really want to pull out is that he's going to be there forever. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's not getting up. He's not going to be dethroned. He's not going to be overthrown. He's not going to abdicate his throne. He's not going to get voted out. He's there and he's going to be there. This is a reality that Jesus is above all and he will continue to be above all. 
And what does Jesus do as he's sitting there? Well, it tells us in Romans that he's interceding for us. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Picture that. Like, really picture that. Close your eyes and picture Jesus sitting on his throne in the heavenly realm, and it's your name on his lips. You are on his mind. He's speaking your name to the Father. He could do anything while he's sitting there, and he's interceding for you and for me. Hebrews tells us more about Jesus. In Hebrews 1, starting in verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is above the angels. He's above all other spiritual beings, but also even just his name is superior to every other name. Now, this can seem a little mystifying, a little confusing. Like, how can somebody's name be powerful? Well, if we drop it down a little bit and drop it into this context, Vineyard Northwest context, Van's name holds the most clout in the room, in the building. If I came up to someone on a Sunday morning, I said, you know, Van said, Mary, he doesn't want you to sit in the front row today. Could you move back? Mary would probably say, okay, and up she would go. Or if I came up to someone, I said, hey, you know, Van really wants you to come over here and see him. You'd probably get up and come with me because he's the senior pastor. And so even though I am not the senior pastor, I'm using his name. And so you'd probably think it's a good idea to do that. That's kind of how it works with Jesus's name. Jesus's name carries such power and such authority because he's seated on the throne that when we do things in Jesus's name, things happen. And Jesus wants us to use his name. It's not like I have to say like, and be sneaky about it. Like, hey, I think maybe Van would like you to do something. We, Jesus has fully released us and said, use my name, go in my name and heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead in my name. He wants us to use his name. We are supposed to use his name. We have the authority to pray and to minister in the power of his name. The last thing I want to point out about Jesus and his positional superiority is that one day all the people of the world will acknowledge him as such. That will happen. This was prophesied in the book of Daniel. It says, in the, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Son of man is the title that Jesus would use to describe himself. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
And then again in Philippians, in the New Testament, there's a hymn that shows up in the middle of chapter 2 talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus really is above all else. That's a reality that we can hold on to. But beyond Jesus being above all positionally and authoritatively, he's also above all others, just in the essence of who Jesus is. Jesus is a great guy. Jesus has a great personality. You can have a king on the throne that isn't very kingly. You can have a king on the throne that you don't want to obey. You want to have a king that is wise and kind and just, and Jesus actually is all of those things. Jesus and who he is, he is worthy of sitting in that place of power. Jesus' personality is amazing. He's beautiful. That's number one. He's joyful. It says in Hebrews 1 that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above and beyond all of his companions. Jesus is kind. Jesus is sacrificial. He's generous. He's also powerful. Jesus is the lion. He's the lion of Judah. He is mighty. He is powerful. But simultaneously, he is the lamb that was slain. He's the lamb that gave up, willingly gave up his life to save us, to save you and to save me. Jesus is the embodiment of goodness. He's the image of the good, perfect father that we have. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He never faltered. But yet because he was tempted, he understands our trials perfectly. Jesus is just a, he's good in his essence, at the very core of his being. He is superior to others. But beyond that, Jesus is superior to the gods of other religions. Other religions in the world dictate that you do things. Jesus is different than that. The other gods of this world aren't living. We have a living God. Jesus really was alive and Jesus really is alive. He's breathing, he's speaking, he's talking, he's hugging, he's crying, he ate, he drank, he danced. Jesus, we have a living God that is far superior to all of the other gods of all the other religions in the world. In Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the Israelites and he says, you know, one day you're going to turn from the living God and you're going to be scattered. And he says that there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Moses was drawing a distinction. He's saying we have a living God. He is far superior to all other gods. And then in Acts, Paul tells us, being then God's offspring, 
We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they weren't formed by our imagination. They exist outside of our minds and our imagination. That's part of why we can't fully grasp who they are and how they exist in their Trinitarian form, because they weren't formed by us. They exist outside of that. And then even within our religion, within our history and our tradition, the Old Testament prophets with Moses and Daniel and Elijah and all these men that were wonderful men and that led millions of people in worshiping God, even they, Jesus is superior to them. John the Baptist was the the greatest of the Old Testament prophets and the last. And he himself tells us that Jesus is greater than any of the Old Testament prophets. In John 3.31, John the Baptist says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. That's Jesus. Jesus, as this living God, he isn't just living, he's living and he wants to press into relationship with you and with me. Jesus is the personification of love. I was reading this book this week by Tim Keller called Jesus the King. And in the beginning, he was talking about how God has always existed in his Trinitarian form. God has never existed outside of relationship and outside of love. And so that is a core part of who God is. God is love. And Jesus is the physical representation of God. So Jesus is love. Jesus wants us to grow in hope and peace and love and joy. He wants to work with the Holy Spirit inside of us together for our benefit and for the growth of the kingdom so that everyone would come to know him and be in relationship with him and so that nobody would have to perish. But it's not about works and striving with Jesus. It's not. It's about relationship. Putty Putnam gave a talk one time, and he said that in the world and in these other religions in the world, you have to start with what you do. I have to do all these things. I have to pray seven times a day, facing the right way. I can't steal. I can't gossip. I can't murder. I, I have to do all of these things. And once I do those things, then I can start to feel as if I am a person that might be accepted by my God. And then finally, I'm, I might belong in the kingdom of this God that I worship or even a community that you're in, student council, PTA. I have to volunteer at the PTA carnival. And once I volunteer at the PTA carnival, then I'll start to feel as if I'm really contributing to the PTA. And I really, I I am a PTA member, Sarah Anderson, PTA member. And then I belong. After that, I really belong. I can walk into that school and I can feel like I belong. Well, my husband's the principal, so I belong there anyway. I like to call myself the first lady of Whitaker Elementary, but, but you have to do, and then you are, and then you belong. It's the opposite of that in the kingdom. When you believed in Jesus, you belong. Jesus says, hey, you believe in me? You're a part of my body. You're the body of Christ. You belong. You're a part of the church. And then because we belong, because we have that affirmation, we start to feel like we are his sons and daughters. 
and we start to embody that. We start to become the sons and the daughters of God. And then because we have that, because he's flowing through us and he's changing us into more of his image and his likeness and his behavior, we naturally start to do the things that Jesus does. So we go from belonging to being to doing. That's the way it is in the kingdom. It's the opposite of the way that it is in the world. You see, Jesus, he's patient. Jesus is a patient guy. I like to think of him as a gentleman. It says in Revelation 4 that he stands at the door and he knocks. He stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't kick the door down and say, nope, you, you're going to be my believer right now. He lets us respond to him. He's patient. He waits for us to be ready to have that relationship with him. And then what does he do when we open the door? Does he come in and say, I can't believe what you did. Why did you behave that way? He doesn't do that. It says in that verse, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. He wants to spend some time with his kid. Sharing a meal with each other, that is an intimate, relational kind of thing. That's one of the best ways that we grow relationship with other people is by sharing a meal. And Jesus says, that's all I want. I just want to come in and I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. I could go on and on. Jesus is a healer. He's an equipper. He's a partner. Jesus is just good at the essence of who Jesus is. He is good and he is above all others. So we know that Jesus is positionally above all others. We know that at his essence, Jesus is above all. So what does that mean for us? How do we respond to this information? How do we respond to this reality? Well, for some of you, if this is your first time hearing some of this, it might mean that you need to give your heart to Jesus. You might need to say, Jesus, you're right. I want to belong in your kingdom. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to be your follower. I want to follow you. We'll have time to do that in a couple minutes. But for those of us that are already in the kingdom, we're already a part of the body of Christ, how should we live with this reality? How do we respond? Well, we respond with worship. We worship him. We worship the fact that he's above all, and we worship the fact that he's worthy to be above all. We need to worship him with singing, with dancing, with praying, with talking about him. There's so many different ways that we can worship. By giving our tithes and our offerings, we worship Jesus. We worship him individually, with our families. We worship corporately as the church, as the body of Christ. And then we need to respond with how we make decisions, with how we live, with how we behave, with what our mindset is, with what our worldview is. It says in Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the core of the kingdom of heaven. 
So Jesus is worth, once we find Jesus, we should be willing to sell all that we have to run after him. He's gotta be at the center. He's gotta be at the core. And we surrender all of our hopes, all of our dreams, we surrender them at the feet of Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I trust you with these. And we start to make decisions based on that mindset. We respond by making a choice to continually seek a deeper revelation of who Jesus is, of continually seeking a deeper friendship with Jesus, seeking his face, learning about his word, being in community with other believers that are also running after him and helping each other grow in friendship with Jesus. I want to tell you a little bit about my story with Jesus and what Jesus means to me in my life. Um, I first came to know Jesus when I was about 10 years old at summer camp, which that's why I love summer camp so much. Summer camp's a great thing. And spent a long time getting to know Jesus and being close to him, fell away a little bit from Jesus when I was in college, and then got myself reacquainted with Jesus here at this church in this room. And so I, Jesus and I, we've had our ups and downs, but I've been with Jesus for a long time. And I've been cultivating this relationship with Jesus for a long time and getting to know him. And I knew that Jesus was my refuge. I knew that he was my rock, but I didn't really understand that or grasp that to any great depth until about 18 months ago. And about 18 months ago, my family had a very traumatic incident, and I've shared about this before, but my son Noah, he's now 10, he was eight at the time, he has a heart condition, and we were on a cruise in the Caribbean, and he was running down some stairs, and his little heart freaked out a little bit, and he had a cardiac arrest and was laying at the bottom of the stairs. And my husband found him and started CPR and I came out of the elevator and saw him lying there on the floor. And that's, that, that, that wasn't great. That, that's not fun, um, to put it lightly. And in that moment, the only word that would come to my mind was Jesus. And it was just over and over, just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And just his name was a refuge for me in that moment, just to be able to speak his name, to speak his name over my son, to speak his name out, to pray his name in my mind, like even just the sound of his name was a refuge. It was the only thing that was bringing me comfort in that moment. And I had the two earthly people that bring me, that are my safe place on earth, my dad and my husband, they were both doing CPR and they were trying to reassure me with their eyes and with their voices. And it wasn't helping. <laughs> it just wasn't helping. It was Jesus. And in that moment, I was able to say, Jesus, you're good. I don't know if he's coming home with me. I don't know if he's getting off this ship, but you're good. You're good. And it was that anchoring truth that kept me sane 
honestly in that moment, and that kept me safe. And I had a thought this week as I was thinking about that, about how, like, just the name of Jesus came out because I was scared. And I hear people in this world that don't know Jesus use his name when they're scared and when they're hurt and when they're mad and when they're upset. And I could be off base, but I feel like there's something inside of them at that moment that is truly organically crying out to Jesus. And it's the part of them that was made in the image of God that is saying, I don't know him or love him, but I'm gonna say the name Jesus right now. And I, I could be wrong, but that thought came to my mind this week. That, guys, Jesus, <laughs> he's just everything. In the midst of the worst moment of your life, in the midst of tragedy, he's there. And he's steady and he's good and he's loving and he's compassionate and he has compassion in his eyes and he sits there with you and he hurts with you and he grieves with you and he helps make it better. He's my heart's desire. He's my refuge, no matter if it's a hard time, the worst time of my life, or if it's the best time of my life. Because here's the thing, as believers, Jesus told us we're going to have trouble in this world. We're going to. We're going to encounter some twisted things because we have an enemy that is bent on death and destruction. I've seen it. I've seen his destruction play out in my life. I had a cardiac arrest when I was 12 that I survived. My son survived a cardiac arrest. That's death right there. We're gonna face some twisted things. And so we have to have Jesus. We have to have him as our refuge. We have to be cultivating that relationship with him on a day in and day out basis so that when the time comes, we can turn to him. And he's there, he'll be there no matter what, but it's better if he's already your best friend at that moment. But not only is Jesus there in the most terrible times, Jesus is there at the very best times. There was a moment about six months after his cardiac arrest that I was sitting on my back porch with my family and it was my mom's birthday and we were singing happy birthday to her. And I looked over and I saw Noah and he was smiling and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And then I saw his brothers and they were also happy and smiling and my mom was smiling and my heart just exploded with gratitude and joy that we had this moment that Noah was still here, he was still with us. And in that moment, my heart cried out to Jesus too. And I said, Jesus, thank you. He's there for the inexplicably bad and he's there for the inexplicably good and he's there for everything in between. Some of the most peaceful moments of my life are when I am sitting still and in my imagination, I am sitting face to face with Jesus. And I'm looking into his eyes, his crinkly eyes. He's, he, he smiles a lot and he's been smiling a lot for a long time. So he's, he's got some crinkly eyes. And just looking in his face and spending time with the one that my soul loves. He brings peace and he brings joy. Would you guys stand with me? I wanna take just a minute for anyone in the room that wants to give their life to Jesus for the first time. I want there to be space and time 
for that. And I also want there to be space and time for all of us in the room to be able to reaffirm to Jesus our love and our desire for him and our commitment to him. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I love you. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you are seated on the throne in the heavenly realm. We thank you that you are there and you are worthy to be there. We thank you for how good you are, how loving you are, how sacrificial you are. Jesus, I tell you right now that I love you and that I want to follow you all the days of my life. I reaffirm to you this morning that you are it for me, Jesus. If this is your first time giving your life to Jesus, just tell him, just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that your blood covered every wrong thing I've ever done. I want to love you and I want to follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, would you come and live with me? If you just prayed that, something supernatural really did just happen. You went from an old creation to a new creation. You are now a new creation in Christ. And the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. Jesus, would you please fill all of our hearts with the desire to know you more, to know you better, would you give us the hunger to run after you, to run after your face, to seek your face with all of our hearts? Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. We love you. Amen.